Thanks, Justin. Love you. Oh. Wow. It is so good to be back. Um, let me go ahead and give you a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, Justin and Marilyn so faithfully reminded you that you have notes for today's message. Um, let, me, let me go ahead and explain something to you. They're almost useless. Um, you've got to remember those notes were done for three Sundays ago. And uh, then I got sick and we, we played a pre-recorded message. And then the next Sunday, um, it still wasn't where I could come back, but we had a very special prayer emphasis uh, that Justin led us in and, and read the little sermonette that I had on prayer. And the message about the harvest has still been on my heart, but um, things have developed, some things have come alive in my heart that I wanted to share with you. So let me go ahead and tell you now, you need these notes because it has the references, the scripture references that I will be referring to. You'll have those, but if you try to follow them, you will feel uh, about as confused as a termite and a yo-yo um, because I'm, I'm covering the same material but taking a different uh, slant and a different approach. I want to say a couple of things. Again, thank you so much for the way that you have prayed uh, for me and for others that have been sick, number one. Number two, um, I want to say thank you for continuing to function uh, as the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ during confusing days and difficult days. I need to say this. We made a plan that I think was a good plan the plan was to get us from point A to point B to survive that gap between point A and point B and then things would get back to normal. Um, it doesn't look like things are going back to normal anytime soon. Uh, may never go back to the normal we expected to go back to. There, there, there's, uh, God's hand is on us, we know that. It's not, an, it's not a matter of confusion or chaos. It's a matter of us hearing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And I realize that uh, even though there's a, a great crowd here today, I realize that we're still struggling with, uh, you know, is it safe to get out? What about my physical condition? Things like that. Please know that we understand. Please know that we're sensitive to those of you that want to be in church and are here. And we also are sensitive to those of you that just would say, Pastor, I there's just issues at our house. We've got sick folks or we've got physical conditions and we're just not comfortable to come back yet. We're still with you. Hey, I know you're with us. You have been so encouraging. You've been so supportive of the church. Um, I, I'm, I am amazed at how well the church is doing um, when we have every reason in the world to not be doing well right now. And the reason we're doing so well is the Lord's faithfulness and your faithfulness. Um, uh, when the Civil War uh, was in its early days, the Capitol building was under a major construction plan. And all of the counselors of President Lincoln said, we need to just put this plan on hold until we get past this rebellion. 
Uh, now, they were saying the rebellion would be just a matter of weeks. It turned out to be several years from uh, April of 1861 to April of 1865. And President Lincoln said, no, we need to keep the construction going because in moments when people wonder if we're going to survive this, they'll see construction and know we're moving forward. And that was a good attitude. So I, I want you to know um, there's going to be a lot of noise going on in here tomorrow. And uh, during this time, we are replacing the carpet, um, which um, uh, we're, gonna, we're getting a more coffee-friendly carpet um, uh, out in the foyer, in the hallways. You see, we've uh, uh, covered uh, the... Um, uh, the platform up here, I told folks it was for me to be able to resort back to my old antics of flopping and throwing myself down on the ground. Um, I tried that the other day. I think those days may be over, but um, it's, this will give you an idea of what we're working on. So we're going forward. We're making plans for uh, our children with our new children's pastor, Bella. And boy, I hope you saw her. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Facebook Live, um, it was it was phenomenal. I was I was sitting there crying for for our children, thinking what a great job she did, and also excited for my grandchildren and all of our children to come. We have got a lot to look forward to, and I just want to encourage you to keep hanging in there. Um, we're we're doing everything we can to hear the Lord. We're doing everything we can to keep you safe and responsible. We're doing everything we can to be ready when the Lord brings the harvest. We're going to break forth with celebration. And um, we, we, are, we are in a mode right now of trying to find a better word than harvest. Because it's not just that we're going to have a little in-gathering I believe with all of my heart that God is about to do something that will absolutely overwhelm and amaze us. A pastor friend of mine, I didn't get permission to use his name, so I won't, but he is a wonderful guy. And he said that the Lord during prayer corrected him. He said, I want to talk to you about what you're calling a great awakening. And I thought, uh-oh, because that's the word I'm using. I feel like a great awakening is coming. And he said, the Lord spoke to him and said, it's okay to call it a great awakening as long as you understand that what I am about to do defies description. It defies the meaning of awakening. It, it, it will not be perceived initially all that God is doing. So uh, I, I want to talk to you today about the harvest. I want to encourage you to just keep on doing what you're doing. I'm so proud of you. So proud of you. You've, you've done everything so well. Um, someone that listens, if I remember correctly from Pennsylvania, sent this to us. Uh, it's called Six Little Stories with Lots of Meanings. Um, it talks about the power of our attitude. And, and, and guys, I understand this. It, it's a physically tough time, but it is also tough mental health right now. It really is. Now, now quit looking at your spouse, but it's a tough time 
to just where our tempers are short in many instances. Our, we're tired of this, but God is helping us. And some days it seems he helps us more than others, but he's helping us. Once all the villagers decided to pray for rain, on the day of the prayer, all the people gathered, but only one boy came with an umbrella. That's faith. When you throw babies in the air, they laugh because they know you will catch them. That's trust. Every night we go to bed without any assurance of being alive the next morning, <coughs> but still we set the alarms to wake up. That is hope. We plan big things for tomorrow in spite of zero knowledge of the future. That is confidence. We see the world suffering. But still, we get married and have children. That is love. On an old man's shirt was written a sentence, I'm not 80 years old. <coughs> Excuse me. I am sweet 16 with 64 years of experience. That is attitude. Have a happy day and live your life like these six stories. Remember, good friends are the rare jewels of life, difficult to find and impossible to replace. As I say each week, and forgive me my coughing here, I have not been using my voice, and, and uh, I'm feeling it a little bit today, um, uh, the, the strain. Um, you have been missed, you have been loved, you have been prayed for every day. And I, I need to say one more thing before we get into the message. Right now, it may feel like we have lost our sense of culture, our ethos, our passion, and, uh, uh, and our pursuit of the Lord's presence. Some people have asked, will we ever be the same church that we were before all of this? And I know what they're asking, and my answer is an emphatic yes. But I want to say not only are we recovering passion and presence and ethos and all of those things, but we really are going to come out better uh, on the other side of this. Let's just hang in there. Um, missionary that I love deeply, Charles Greenaway, used to say, the Lord will pull you through. The question is, can you stand the pull? You know, he'll pull us through. We've just got to let him help us stand the pull. I'm going to ask you here in the sanctuary to stand with me. I know you've been standing for worship. Um, all over, uh, people are with us now as we're about to go into the message. We want to follow our custom of praying together the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and forever. Amen. And Lord, we also add to our prayers those that are sick, those that are in recovery, those that have lost loved ones, those that are fighting such incredibly long odds right now. Show yourself mighty and help us, we pray. Lord, I'm going to talk about some things that 
would be easier ignored today than dealt with. So I'm asking you to give me the ability to speak well, and I'm asking you to give this precious church the ability to hear well and help us to um, get a grip on the mind and the heart of God as much as that is possible for humans. We pray for your intervention in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Wave at somebody before you're seated. There you go. There's a passage of Scripture. In fact, there are really four passages leading out of this passage that I want to talk about today as we talk about understanding the harvest. Whenever the harvest is read about in Scripture, um, and it's not just a New Testament concept, it's an Old Testament concept as well. Prophet Jeremiah said summer is past. He was talking about the great trouble that Israel was headed for. He said the summer is ended, the harvest is ready, and yet we're not saved. Uh, he, he was lamenting the fact that God had brought opportunity and Israel had missed it. It was similar to what Jesus would say as he stood there on the Mount of Olives and looked out over the city and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that have stoned the prophets and rejected every messenger that God has ever sent, how often I wanted to gather you close to myself as a hen gathers her young, but you were not willing, and now you've lost that moment of opportunity. There is a linking of ideas, though, that is found in particular in four places we're going to just glance at today. Um, The idea of people needing a shepherd, people being a flock, And those people being seen as part of the harvest is linked together. Let's read Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus does not want his people to live like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, now he shifts his metaphor here from a flock to a harvest. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Whenever Jesus talks about caring for his people, he always speaks in terms of sheep that need guiding. And whenever he talks about the sheep of his pasture, he says it's like a harvest that has come to a place of maturity. Can I tell you what I believe? I'm just going to talk like a pastor today. I'm just going to talk like a shepherd. I'm, I'm, this is home talk. This is family talk today. I believe that the enemy is doing something in our midst. I really do believe this. And we can get into the discussion, is this judgment? Is this COVID thing from God or is it from the devil? And you can find every answer in the book available online. All you've got to do is push the right button and everybody 
Um, it says they've heard from the Lord. Everybody has the answer. And I want to tell you, I take very seriously having the real answer. I take very seriously this burden that I have. No, it's a tough question. But I tell you what I do believe the enemy is trying to do. I believe God is working and I believe that the enemy is working. But I believe that the enemy, not only, he always comes to kill and steal and destroy. That's always his agenda. But there's something else he wants to do. Daniel would put it this way uh, when we talked about uh, in, the, in, in the prophet's writings, when he was talking about Antichrist, he said that his mission, Antichrist, and you say, well, do you, do you think Antichrist is alive and well on planet Earth? I, I don't know, but I do know this. There is coming a, a, a person known as the Antichrist. Uh, John talked about that. Jesus talked about that. We see him portrayed in the book of Revelation. But until that person comes, he may be here, but until that person comes, John the Apostle said, we know that there is a spirit of Antichrist that is working in the world right now. And John also said, there are false teachers of Antichrist that are working in the world right now. So there is an agenda, and I tell you what the enemy is trying to do. He is trying to send a chaos upon us that will end up in disruption of the plan and purpose of God in our life. He is trying to send something that will be a distraction that pulls us away from what God has very clearly called us to do. He will even use King James English if he needs to, to distort the message of the kingdom. Um, and he is promoting disunity. You see, we've got to understand um, the greatest test for the church during this COVID virus is not just to survive the virus. The greatest test of the church is to not be distracted and to not lose our unity and begin to walk in disunity, to not let our message be distorted. The enemy is, is um, a master at retaliating whenever the church begins to make progress. Again, I told you, I'm going to talk as a pastor today. We set aside two Sundays early in this year to talk about pro-choice and pro-life, that battle that is a moral battle going on. We drew a line in no uncertain terms that we believe every child of God has to take a stand against the practice of abortion. We said that'll always be the position of our church. And I've been here nearly 26 years. I've never seen a time that I felt the church was more united on the issue of standing against abortion than on those two Sundays. But I want to tell you, in less than a month, it feels like, now I know the fat angel hasn't sang yet, but it feels like all the motion and momentum and progress that we gained the first part of the year suddenly got swept over to the side by this virus. Now I know that the seed was planted and I know that great fruit is going to come from it, but you've got to understand that's the work of the enemy. That's what he has done from the very beginning is to get us off target to get us off track, to get us off focus. And I know there's more to our agenda than, than the ending of abortion. I know that. But what I'm saying is 
I think what the Lord is doing is allowing us to see how easily distracted we are. We have people that are going absolutely just crazy. Now, I, I, I hope, I don't think it's folks in our church, but we have Christians that are drawing lines in the sand in the strangest places, talk about being persecuted because we have had to, you know, put limitations on our gathering. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm, 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 I'm politically conservative. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. My opinion is whatever the government can get their hand in, they'll never let go of. And I didn't expect any amens because everybody's afraid that, uh, you know, but, but I tell you, I, I, I don't like government intervention in the affairs of the church. But I also understand that this is a necessary distress that we have to walk through. And I realized it didn't take three weeks for people to get distracted from the gospel. And now all of a sudden the wearing of a mask is the receiving of the mark of the beast. I'm, I'm serious. We are so easily distracted by conspiracy theories and by being inconvenienced. And my prayer is that God will open our eyes to what Christians go through in Iran, in China, in North Korea. And can I say it? In some states in America. We need to understand that uh, the, the question being asked of us is the same question Jeremiah asked the people of Judah. He said, if footmen have wearied you, what will happen when horsemen come? And, and if you have been slowed down by a, by a babbling brook, what will you do when the, <coughs> excuse me, when the Jordan swells? Loved ones, I think God is in his mercy allowing us to go through these difficult days to show us what we are and to show us what we are not. To show us where we are strong and to show us where we are weak. And the enemy has found it in general easy to distract the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I knew you all love that. and it's just... <coughs> I want to say this. The Lord spoke to me a while back, and my, my pastor friend that talked about the Great Awakening, the Lord showed him this same thing before he showed it to me, and he has articulated it much better than I have. But in the midst of all of this, when we were trying to figure out how can we reopen, what, you know, Lord, can the church survive this kind of shutdown, the Lord spoke to my heart that churches in America need to understand that the preaching they do, this was back in June, the preach, early June, the preaching they do over the next six to eight months, when we look back on 2020, the preaching that pastors do over the next six to eight months will be noted as the most important preaching that they have done in all of their lifetimes. We, and Levens, I want to tell you, if we're not careful, we'll find out we're being suckered into the wrong battles. Amen. We're being suckered into the wrong fights. We're listening to the wrong voices. We're listening to people that uh, in their arrogance have said, um, you know, I've got the mind of God and this is what God is saying. And I believe what God is doing is humbling every pastor that will allow him or herself to be humbled. I think God is humbling every prophet 
that is demanding that folks follow them. There's an arrogance rising up, and we're playing right into the enemy's hands. Let's begin by talking about what do we mean by the harvest. Well, when we talk about the harvest, somewhere in your notes, there's a defining of the harvest in Scripture. The first and most frequently used passage, passages of Scripture, harvest is described as what it obviously is, an ingathering of food. But there are other passages where harvest is, is described as the result of one's life or manner of living, whether good or evil. When we live our lives, we are creating a harvest that will follow us into eternity. But also, loved ones, in a very real way, and this is how Jesus used it almost exclusively, the idea of harvest is the idea of souls being gathered into God's kingdom. The idea of harvest is understanding God's plan for mankind, the purpose for the church in this present age. Harvest has to do with the eternal destiny of men's souls. Now, let me say some things that you can get in more detail in your, your outline. Um, the thing about harvest we need to understand is that the harvest is overwhelming. It's absolutely overwhelming. We, we are right now, we are seeing the product of, a, of a, maybe a generation and a half where we have taught church leaders to be leaders instead of being shepherds and instead of being harvesters. We have, we have accepted in the church growth movement, we have accepted a mindset that makes our churches bigger and makes the crowds grow. And we're telling our men and women what it's like to be a grade A, top-notch CEO. And we're telling almost none of our young people how to be a shepherd that leads the flock. We're teaching our people how to be successful in their career. We're taking men and women that have no calling to apostolic ministry whatsoever, but because they have a type A personality, we call that strong leadership personality an apostolic gift. And we have violated the most core culture of Christianity, which is being servant leaders, shepherds, family members, and as a result, we're ready for a harvest, but all the church has been ready to do is to be better businessmen and businesswomen. And I believe that we are going through right now a refining, a rebuking, and a correcting by the Holy Spirit. The work of the harvest is overwhelming. The second thing that you need to understand about the harvest is that the harvest is not only overwhelming, it's confusing. Because two great harvests are coming. That's why over the past 40 years, whenever you hear prophetic voices, you've got dueling prophets. I've explained it that way before. This prophet says, oh, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to be better than it's other been and then ever been. Then you've got over here, no, it's the end. It's going to be the, the time of great tribulation and great difficulty. This group calls this group carnal and this group calls this group faithless. 
And the fact of the matter is both groups are so arrogant that they think they have the full counsel of God and the full revelation of God when the fact of the matter, loved ones, the fact of the matter is that from the earliest days, this end time harvest is a matter of a harvest of wrath and a harvest of salvation. When you look in the book of Revelation chapter 14, it is very clear that there are two separate and distinct harvests. Both of them are monumentally huge. Both of them are coming. And we have to develop a theology where we understand that both things are happening. It is true in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams and or see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And upon all mankind, I will pour out of my, of my spirit, says the Lord. And we say, oh, that proves it. Boy, I shouldn't have done that today. Um, I'm sorry. But... We think, we really think, oh, everything's going to be great because of what we have here in Acts chapter 2, quoted from Joel chapter 2, and there are going to be phenomenal days. But it's the same scripture that says this, in the days that are coming, in the last days, perilous days, difficult days will grow worse and worse. There will be an increase of evil men and seducers. There will be an influx of people having itching ears. And we refuse, we refuse to accept any perspective except the one that we like. Except the one, okay, okay, we'll go on. Let's just keep moving. There is, there is a, 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 a two-fronted harvest that's coming, and if we don't understand that both are about to take place, we will miss what God does. There is great wrath and judgment that is coming on the face of the earth, but there is also an outpouring of God's Spirit. You read about it in Revelation 14. Both harvests are mentioned in Revelation 14, and Paul writes about both harvests as well. So does Jesus. Jesus talks about the great harvest at the end, but he also said that harvest will be so bad, that, that time, not the harvest, the time will be so bad that unless God Almighty shortened the days, mankind would cease to exist. I want you to understand a third thing about the harvest. All history is moving toward a wheat and tares moment. That means that even though the promised blessing of God is maturing, the opposition of the enemy is also maturing. The Bible makes it clear through the teachings of Jesus that as it comes harvest time, there will be a reality that both wheat and tares, or the, the, what was called the bastard wheat, the darnel, it looked alike, it smelled alike, it grew alike, and the only way after those first, just after the initial sprouting, the only way from that point on you could tell the difference between the bastard wheat and the genuine wheat is when it came to full maturity. Now, there, there was a way you could tell from the sprouting, but you had to catch it right away. 
And if you let it go past that, it was impossible to distinguish between the two. And God said, we're going to be part of a harvest where the enemy on one day seems to be winning and God on one day seems to be winning. But God makes it clear, if you'll hold steady and commit to the harvest, the day will come and you can tell the difference between the golden grain and the black bastard grain. I'm not trying to cuss, that's what it was called. It meant it was illegitimate wheat. It made claims to be wheat, it made promises to be wheat, but if you ate it, it gave you the equivalent of dysentery. Now let's move a little bit deeper. I, I want to tell you three things that I believe God is doing right now in this harvest, okay? Now, I, just in case I'm not making it clear, I believe that we are about to see the greatest harvest that mankind has ever seen. I believe that if we're reading where we are on God's time of events accurately, it may be that we are about to see the worst times of planet Earth and the best times of planet Earth all at the same time. Our job is to figure out which prophecy we're going to fulfill. Are we going to be part of the generation that is full of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Or are we going to be the generation that caves into evil? Now, loved ones, that's why our mindset is so important. Let me talk to you about three things that I think God is doing right now. Here's number one. This is the first principle. And it's the most distasteful of the three principles. You'll, you won't like this. But the most distasteful of the first principle, this is the time to go get some more syrup for your waffle. God humbles before he exalts. Now, I'm not talking about the loss necessarily. I'm talking about the loss, but I'm also talking about his people. God humbles before he exalts. Loved ones, can I be just dead honest with you? I've never known a time in my life, oh, I've had moments, you've all had moments. There, there are, we've all had moments when we scan the obituary because we're sure God must have died. You know, things aren't happening the way they ought to happen. But we're usually over that in a few days. God comes through. But I don't know of a season like the one we're in right now. It seems, now it's not true, but it seems like God is doing less than ever to answer prayer. Now, nobody here is going to say that. What would that do to your standing in the church if you said amen to, it's, to the pastor saying, it feels right, like right now that God is doing less to answer prayer than any other time in your life. Loved ones, I want to tell you the reason it feels that way is that that might be where you are. You say, but God, God wants me happy. He does want you happy, but more importantly, he wants you holy. I told you you wouldn't like this one. You see, Paul had to learn something. Don't get me wrong. God is too wise to be mistaken. And God is too kind to be cruel. When it feels this way, we've got to understand two things. We're not seeing clearly right now. We're not seeing clearly. We're seeing the down, not the up. We're seeing the bad, not the good. <coughs> but I also want you to understand 
that God will humble before he exalts. It's never the plan of God to humble us and leave us there. It's God's plan to take away every false expectation. It's God's plan to take away every unrealistic expectation. Why? Because there is a place. Hear me. You won't believe this because of what you're going through right now. You don't believe this. But park it over on the side, put it on the back burner because it's just a matter of time that God will vindicate himself. God is taking you through a bad place concerning your job or concerning family or concerning finances or concerning health. God is taking you through a bad place not because he is mean or capricious or wicked or just has these moods. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for me. God has a plan that we think he is saying no to, but what he is doing is making sure that when he says yes, it will yield the ultimate fruit for us. Everybody just get a drink of water. <coughs> Paul, you say, I, I, I don't want to hear that. Well, you're going to keep going through this until you hear it. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm telling you, you say, I'm just, I'm so stubborn, I don't want to hear it. God is more stubborn than we are. And he has such a phenomenal plan. Are you guys still with me here? God has such a phenomenal plan that he is willing to be misunderstood by you for a while because he humbles before he exalts. You see, what happens when he humbles us is it gives us a stability to hold the blessing. When I used to play basketball in high school, we had a coach that was a great coach. He was SEC all-star. He was a great guy. But every one of us hated him the first two or three months. We absolutely hated him. Uh, he had a very, very strange philosophy. He says, you haven't worked hard until you vomit. And every day in practice, every day in practice, you weren't going to get complimented on anything till you threw up. <laughs> Coach, I need water. He said, you're surrounded by water. Drink up. And we'd start heading to the water fountain. He said, where are you going? You told us to drink up. No, that's not what I said. And he'd reach down and grab a handful of our jersey and shove it in our mouth. And he'd say, suck on that, boy. There's plenty of water in there. That's gross, isn't it? But you know what would happen? Well, we got rebellion going on over here. Okay. Either that or somebody says, let's do that. But yeah, I can't tell you how many times I quenched my thirst sucking on my t-shirt. You say, that's gross. Yeah, it was gross. But I tell you what he knew that I didn't know. What I knew is that we would reach the point where everything he was forcing us to do would make us stronger. It would make us bigger. Our muscles I remember looking, I was bent over like this one time, and I remember looking down, and I, I, I thought I had a tumor. I, I, thought, I thought I had grown a tumor in the midst of all of this. 
And it terrified me and I reached down and you know what had happened? I had sprouted a new muscle in my thigh. I'm serious. I thought it was a tumor. But my muscles had started developing. My stamina started developing. And I'm not trying to be hokey, but I am trying to make it clear. He knew that there's no way we could compete on a basketball court in November, December, and January, and February unless we paid our dues in June and July and August and September. And loved ones, please hear me. Listen to me. I know it sounds crude. I know it sounds harsh. But God loves you so much that He will uh, um, uh, humble you before He exalts you. And it's not because He's trying to hurt you. It's because He's trying to build something in you. He's trying to build something in you that will make it able for you to go forward. You say, I don't don't think that's biblical. Well, let's look at what Paul said about the thorn in the flesh. Now, people argue all day long over what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. We don't know. We can guess. We just, we don't know. I went through my files the other day. I've got 39 theories through the years of this is Paul's thorn in the flesh. And, And we, we, we have no idea what the thorn in the flesh was. But this is what Paul learned with the thorn in the flesh. He learned that I find my strength more in God's no's than I do in God's yeses. Oh, there are wonderful exceptions to that. There are times that God says yes before I even know what I'm asking for. There are times that God meets my needs before I even realize I've got a need. There are times my song of the day is, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, bless the Lord, O my soul, who satisfies all my desires. I love when that psalm is the psalm of the day. I love it. But I hate it when the psalmist, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And you know, the stinking part is God doesn't even answer the question. (laughs) How long? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Loved ones, God loves you so much that he will humble you before he exalts you. Let me tell you something. The harvest does not belong to those who play to the crowds. The harvest belongs to those who understand the master of the harvest. Whenever we are preparing for that new job or that new relationship or that new whatever it is, I know you don't want to hear it. I know you don't want to hear it any more than I've wanted to hear it when I've been in the place you're at right now. But I know this because I've lived it out and it has been true. God will say no when I don't understand why he won't say yes. He is willing to let me be angry with him because he loves me so much if he caved in to my whining He wouldn't be helping me. He'd be hurting me. 
He is refining our poor responses. He is revealing some great responses. He is sharpening us to be at our best for the days ahead. Loved ones, I'm, I'm going to hurry. If you'll, just, if you'll just buckle down and get this, we'll move on. He is refocusing our vision. He's taking away since March. He's been taking away things that don't matter. He's been adding value to our real assignment. Has it ever made you wonder what he meant when he said the first shall be last and the last shall be first? That's not just in judgment. That's in our estimation of life right now. God will strip away what you have cherished and put at the top of the pile. Because he realizes it will not help you. You know what we're going to find? We're going to find that God is raising up obscure prophetic voices that don't need groupies following them. We're going to find out that God is going to do some of the most incredible works through maybe a corner church that has never seen a hundred people gathered at one time in their life. I remember complaining to a friend of mine. I said, I said, yeah, I'm frustrated. I said, we're not allowed to have more than 100 people. He looked at me and smiled and said, that's no problem for us. He said, we never have 100 people. And of course, he was trying to be funny, and it wasn't funny at the time. Now I can laugh about it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what to look for. You're going to find... And and there are wonderful exceptions to what I'm saying. But you're going to find out that a lot of what we've been calling the mega churches and the super churches, you're going to find them put over to the side because God is going to start using those small, insignificant voices that have been faithful when it was not popular to be faithful. I want to tell you, in general, the super churches in America today are not dealing with controversy. They don't deal with same-sex marriage. They, they, they find a way to say, well, on one hand this and one hand that, because their goal is to get a bigger crowd. The, 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 the mega churches in America, with a few exceptions, have done a poor job of representing righteousness. And what we're going to find is that God is beginning to call groups out of obscurity. I... Um, Well, let me go on to the second principle. I think you've got that. God will humble before he will exalt. Now, don't get me wrong. God's going to use some big churches. Our church is pretty good size, and I hope the best days of our history are ahead of us. But God will, please hear me, before you give up and charge God foolishly, before you blame God with intentions that have never been part of his heart, Before you give up on God's plan because he's not doing what you want him to do the way you want him to do it, please understand God is doing something in you that you don't like. It's not pleasant. But I'm here after 65 years of living, I'm here to tell you, Every time I've gotten mad at God, every time I've said, why not, Lord? Why this, Lord? Why now, Lord? Every time, if I give it time, I find myself apologizing. Because God is good and everything he does is good. And your experience does not negate that truth. 
<coughs> the second principle. Let's hurry because you're almost out of time. The second principle is this. Conventional wisdom will fail in order to drive us to the wisdom of the cross. We are going to find that whether it's in investment, business strategies, church growth plans, um, some of the best laid plans are going to continue to fail and continue to fall apart because there is a principle that God wants to instill in us and it is the principle that conventional wisdom will fall for the wisdom of the cross. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. God has chosen the foolish, the weak, the frail things of this earth in order to confound that which is mighty. Now there's nothing wrong with mighty. You know, I know what it's like to have a good bank balance. I know what it's like to have nothing in the bank. You know, a real colorful balance in red. You know, I know what it's like. And I want to tell you, I'll choose black over red any day. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. There's nothing wrong with blessing. There's nothing wrong with things going well. As long as that thing has not mastered you. See, that's why Jesus said it's so difficult for rich man to get into heaven. It's not that there's anything wrong with being rich. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Is it a sin to be rich? No. But by nature, when we are wealthy, when we have stuff, our tendency is to trust in that. That's what makes it difficult because God says, I'll never let you be comfortable in having everything figured out on your own. That verse we've talked about, um, King James puts it like this, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we built a whole church growth movement on that. Churches have to have vision or people are going to die. That's not what that verse means at all. I want to tell you the the simple, pure meaning of that verse when it says, where there is no vision. What that means is when there is no divine word from God, when there is no plan from heaven, where there is no supernatural vision, it doesn't say the people perish. It says the people are unrestrained. Chaos rules. Chaos reigns. And loved ones, the greatest leadership lesson we can learn is this. There's one way to ensure success, and that is to hear from God and to follow his plan. And if you don't do that, every man will do what seems right in his own eyes. And that will end in destruction and death. The idols of our opinions are being crushed. Loved ones, give me five minutes to talk about the current situation with visions and dreams. Uh, a few weeks ago, I know most of you have read the dreams of Pastor uh, Coverstone, I believe is his name, from Kentucky. And um, they were disturbing, they were frightening. And the, 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 church, the church has now spent the last three weeks discussing whether he is a valid prophet or a false prophet. Now, let me talk to you for just a moment here. If you have been going to this church, listening to the teachings of the long emergency, 
you have been taught how to interpret dreams. You've been taught the possibilities and possibilities when dreams come. Um, I, I want to tell you the kind of things that Pastor Coverstone saw are not inconsistent at all with what people have been shown and with what we've seen in regard to the long emergency. But let me tell you what happened. Instead of understanding, you know, pastor, pastors taught us this. Pastors, pastor has dealt with this. And instead of saying, but we can pray, we can ask God for mercy, um, prophetic visions and prophetic dreams are not necessarily a declared destiny that cannot change. Sometimes it's a warning, and when we get these dreams, we have to take them to the Lord. But I tell you what we did. We panicked until somebody rose up and said, this is not how God speaks. And we jumped on a response from a pastor in Atlanta. And I want to tell you, I know the man loves God. I believe he loves the Lord. But I want to tell you, as your pastor, stay away from a prophetic interpretation that says God never does anything unpleasant. Stay away from prophets that say we're in a new day and a new age, a new covenant, a new grace. All the judgment was taken care of at the cross. That is an aberration of Scripture. That is a miscommunication of Scripture. And this brother that I believe loves the Lord with all of his heart, he named about six or seven reasons why this is not of God. Because God doesn't do this and God doesn't do that. And I want to tell you, he's wrong. His statements are wrong. They are conclusions that are half-truths. But what we did is we threw out a man trying to obey God. And we found a prophet that said, God doesn't work this way. And we go right back to being happy and compliant. Everything's fine because we found a prophet that said, this can't possibly happen. Rick Joyner says that he thinks it's a message from God. Dutch Sheets says that he believes God can send messages like that, but Dutch doesn't believe it's the right timing. That's subjective. Um, even Lance Wallnow, that doesn't have much to say about uh, favoring negative prophecy. Lance says God can speak this way, but we've got to have discernment. Loved ones, I want to tell you, this, this man has, Pastor Coverstone has, has been introduced to the world of the prophets and their followers. And he's being kicked in the head. And I, I don't know, I don't know if he'll ever want to give a prophetic word again. But loved ones, I don't think you, I'm making very clear what I'm trying to say. We do not have the maturity being manifested where we can even analyze whether something is a word from God or not. And we're, we're, we're falling into the trap. Is anybody here with me? Justin, are you, can you at least just, okay. It's the mask, he says, okay. Loved ones, I'm not saying what Pastor Coverstone is going to happen. I tell you what I do believe. I believe it's the kind of thing that will happen if we don't pray. And I think that what we need to do is get back to hearing God for ourselves. Mike Bickle is saying the same thing. I love the way Mike put it a few months ago. He said, we have made such, such celebrities of the prophets that they're feeling the pressure to show bravado. 
and to have great predictions. And he says, this is the time we need to get back to loving God and hearing his voice. Loved ones, I can't answer for every church in America. I'm not trying to bring any of these people into accountability. But to this church, to my church, I'm telling you, we need to get back to the basics of hearing the voice of God. We need to get back to the basics of Scripture. I believe in the prophetic word. But loved ones, as long as the enemy can keep stuff fanned up, We'll never have a calm moment, calm enough to hear him. Boy, this is amazingly good preaching. <coughs> you say, well, pastor, you know, let me tell you how prophecy works in the New Testament. There were some clear, thus saith the Lord's, and the church responded. The, the famine that was coming to Jerusalem was a thus saith the Lord. But Agabus, the same prophet that predicted that long emergency that they faced, when you get to Acts 21, he shows up with a prophetic word. Now, the people, the leaders of the church have been saying to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to have trouble. And so Agabus comes, and through a great prophetic picture, he says, the owner of this belt, he's tied up, the owner of this belt will be tied up when he goes to Jerusalem. And you know what the church leader said? Paul, we told you! Don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus is saying don't go. And you know what Paul said? He said, I know I'm going to be tied up. I know I'm going to be persecuted. I have no problem with the prophecy. My problem is what do I do with the prophecy? And you see, loved ones, the thing that lacks in the modern prophetic movement right now, we just resort to name calling and we resort to... To, to, to calling prophets we don't agree with, slop peddlers. But what's lacking in the prophetic movement and what God is going to bring back to the spirit-filled churches that will allow it. Paul said, I believe this is a word from the Lord. Agabus says, well, that's why I delivered it. I believe it's a word from the Lord. The church leader says, we believe this is a word from the Lord. But there were three different interpretations on what should be done with that word. If it had been like today, one of them said, well, it has to mean this because God don't talk that way. It has to be this because of that, that's that and the other. No, no, it has to be this. Do you know what? They said, we don't know how to interpret this. It's good enough for us to know two things, they said. This is it Acts 21? It's good enough for us to know that God knows. God knows what's coming. And number two, the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. I will know that the awakening is begun when the people of God, instead of passing judgment and instead of criticizing, begin to say, I don't know, but the will of the Lord be done. Oh, my word. This is, I'm just, golly, I wish I was out there listening to this. <laughs> Here's the third and final thing. The third principle is we must get back to the heart of the master. The harvest is about him. And now, now, again, the, the, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying, um, 
The first principle was God humbles before he exalts. The second principle is that conventional wisdom will fail in order to drive us to the wisdom of the cross. The third principle is we must get back to the harvest. The harvest is not about you getting a better job. The harvest is not about you paying off your mortgage early. I mean, if God lets you do that, that's wonderful. God's not against these things. But every time you read about the harvest, it's about the heart of the owner. Let me, let me tell you about four scriptures where the harvest is mentioned. Just mention it in passing. Um, there was the harvest explained with the wheat and the tares. That shows us that the enemy wants to promote misidentification. Everybody saw the harvest and said, we've got to pull up this and we've got to destroy this. And the owner of the land says, no, if you pull up everything, you're going to destroy the good too. He says, you've got to trust God, let things grow to maturity and God will sort out the good from the bad. Okay, so loved ones, stay away from knee-jerk reactions when it comes to the harvest. Don't look at the tares, the bastard wheat. Look at the real wheat and understand God can deal with this. You say, it's not right. It's not fair. The, the society's twisted. That's right. But keep your eyes on the harvest and let God handle the other. What about the 11th hour harvest where the man went out all day long hiring more and more workers. That was about miscalculation. You see, when the end of the day came and it was time for everyone to get paid, they miscalculated what was really going on. They said this, this landowner is unfair. He, he gave those that worked an hour the same as he gave those of us that worked in the hard part of the day. Listen, that nothing could be more from the truth. From the beginning, the master made it clear, I'll do what's right. I'll give you what you haven't worked for. I'll do what, what matters is getting the harvest in. He was ready to reward beyond what was fair. But the enemy wants us to miscalculate. See, when I say God's about to do a great harvest, we, we're tempted to misidentify the target of the harvest. We are tempted to miscalculate and somehow we think that the harvest and justice in the harvest is about me getting what I am due. And the harvest is about getting the harvest in. Number three, there was the final harvest moment that we talked about in the book of Revelation. Jesus makes it clear in that book of books of the New Testament. He said the day is coming when everything will be set right. Wickedness will be gathered unto wickedness. Righteousness will be gathered into righteousness. He says the harvest is about what people do with Jesus. And the last thing, this might surprise you. I, and, and loved ones, this is where you can very easily misunderstand me. The other time that Jesus says, pray the Lord of the harvest, there's such a harvest here. Do you know that that was at a moment of great racial tension? 
It was found in the book of John where Jesus says, we're going to go through Samaria and Jews did not go through Samaria. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Uh, it, it wasn't just that that wasn't my cup of tea. They hated each other. They would not speak to each other. They would double the distance they had to travel to, to get from point A to point B just to keep from stepping on each other's property. You say, where did that come from? Way back in 722 BC, whenever the Assyrians took away the northern kingdom of Israel, now, Babylon, that would take away Judah, this is the way they would deal with their captives. They would take the best of their captives into their land and make them part of our culture. But let me tell you the way Assyria did it. Assyria says, we're going to leave you in your land, but we will bring other people into the land. And we'll make your land their land. And you'll hate each other. You'll say, this is our land. And they'll say, no, this is our land. And the way they kept rebellion down was by making the groups hate one another. So during the period of time known as the intertestamental period, the Jews fought against the Samaritans. The Samaritans fought against the Jews. They both believed in the same God. They both believed in the same law of Moses. But by the time we get to the days of Jesus... When Jesus is at that well with that Samaritan woman, this is the issue. We say you should worship here at Mount Gerizim. You say you must worship on the mountain Jerusalem. That's all that lady could see. We have a solution. You have a solution. And neither solution was acceptable to the other. I know this is very uncomfortable. But that's what we're facing right now. We are being distracted by so many other issues. Now, the issues are legitimate. Social justice is legitimate. There are so many things that ought to be done and that need to be done and must be done if justice is going to prevail. But I tell you what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to think that if we can have our political agenda fulfilled, It'll be solved. No, it's our political agenda. You know what Jesus said? He said to that woman, he says, the day is right now upon you. He said, it's not going to be whether you worship in Jerusalem or whether you worship in Samaria. The issue is will you worship God in spirit and in truth? That was the issue. Now, it didn't, Jesus wasn't saying, oh, don't pay attention to the way you've been treated, let it go. No, the Jews had mistreated the Samaritans. The Samaritans had mistreated the Jews. There had been more wrong that had been done, but Jesus says, you are operating under a system that says, if you'll do what I figured out, everything will be right. And loved ones, I want you to hear me. I know this is going to irritate some of you. But we are facing a breakdown in our society where things must be fixed, but they must be fixed God's way. 
they must be fixed God's way. And I predict that the majority of churches in America, one of the biggest decisions they're going to have to make is do we take on the, the, the giant that's before us with our weapon or do we let God do his work? I know that angers people, but I want to tell you, that's the only real choice we've got. You say, but that's just not right. Well, God has a way when we do things his way of making everything right and fixing things in a way that we don't understand. Jericho is about to fall. Joshua has done everything he knows to make the battle right. He stands ready to take charge of the battle and he sees the angel of God. And he says, are you for us or are you for them? And the angel of God says something that technically makes no sense. He said, I haven't come to declare for you or for them. Now, the, the reason that was puzzling is because everything God had said, I'm for you, Joshua. I'm for you, Israel. It's time. The land is going to be set right. That's going. But what did he say? He said, I'm not coming here to declare you right or them right. He said, if this battle is won, it will be because I take over. It will be because I take over. Loved ones, churches that survive, churches that thrive, churches that see the harvest are not going to be churches that suddenly declare themselves woke. They're going to be churches that will say it is not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit. That's the best offer I've got for you. That's the best offer I've got. I say, well, I, no, I'm, that's just not good enough, Pastor. Well, I, I, then I need to tell you, there are probably 800 good churches in Columbia. And you need to find one that you can, you can fit the, the agenda. I, oh, I'm not telling you to leave. Justin's telling you to leave. I'm just saying what he said. <laughs> I'm telling you the challenge before us is too great to let the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or other organizations tell us the way we've got to fix it. The only way society will be fixed in America is for us to hear what the woman at the well said. It's not about the Gerizine plan. It's not about the Jerusalem plan. It's can you worship me on my terms? Can you embrace the harvest on my terms? Oh, God has a destiny, and God, is, God knows things need to be set right. But God is not rising to lay his endorsement on our plans. He's rising to say, I know what needs to be done, and I know what needs to take place. The question is, are you going to do it my way? Or are you going to keep going your own way? Those of you that are mad about your job, those of you that are mad about your mortgage, those of you that are mad about your family. It's not that God's not for you. The question is, are you going to let him solve your problem his way? Or are you going to carry a grudge the rest of your life? He's not doing what I ask him to do. 
Oh, good grief of living. What, one of the greatest songs ever been written is thank God for unanswered prayer. No, you say, God says no to me. Yes, because he loves you. Because he's got a better plan. And loved ones, I'm telling you, every church has got to make this decision. Every family has got to make this decision. Every person has got to make this decision. Am I going to partner with God or am I going to demand he partner with me? It's the only choice we've got. I don't know how to end this today. My suggestion is go get another cup of coffee and think it through. Maybe another waffle. Father, we come to you trying to understand the harvest. We understand that you bring low before you lift high. We understand that human wisdom has to be set aside in order for us to understand divine wisdom. We understand that you love us so much. Father, you, you are willing to let us misunderstand you because you know that given time, you'll, you'll show yourself right. Father, we're at a critical place in America right now. Our church is at a critical place. Father, we aren't seeing what we want to see. We don't know how we're going to be doing church a month from now. We, we, we are so vulnerable. But Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would help us to make up our mind that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. While I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Lord, like Paul, we're going to begin to understand that when we are at our weakest, we're actually at our strongest, even though we don't understand that yet. Help us to take that amazing step of grace that says, I trust you. Okay, this is how we want to end for those of you that are here, for those of you that are at home. Some of you have reached a critical point. Loved ones, I'm not being critical of you when I say, you know, we've got to make up our mind. I, I, I've never been through a, a darker time with more questions and more uncertainty than the last few months have been for me. I, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I'm not critical of you because I'm right there with you. In fact, if we knew how each other were feeling, if it wasn't for social distancing, we'd all just collapse into a giant puddle of tears holding each other and loving on each other. We're all in the same place. But loved ones, what I want to give you, I can't, I can't tell you how to solve every problem. I can't tell you that everything's going to be okay tomorrow. But I can tell you this. The most strategically wise thing you can do is say, Lord, I don't understand, but I am crossing this line. I will trust you. Even though I don't understand, I will trust you. I don't know what's going to happen with the business. I've sunk all my money into this business and it's not looking good, but Lord, I trust you. Lord, I, 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 I need, 
I need, pastor's worried about preaching way too long today. I need him to keep going. I need a change in my life. Guys, he's got the answer. He's got the answer. Justin, wrestle me down if I don't quit in 90 seconds. 90 seconds, start. It's an interesting story in the Bible when God led them through. He's looking, I think he's going to do it. <laughs> when, God, when God led them through the Red Sea, he did it at night. And when I read the account, when I read the story, I thought, Lord, why would you lead them through at night? Do it in the daytime so they can see everything that's going on around them. I mean, do it in the daytime so they can see God did it at night. And you know what I have found that's true in my life? Some of the most spectacular things God has done for me, he's done in darkness. I can't even see what he's doing. You say, well, why? Because I'm so scared. If I could see where he's taking me, I would be paralyzed. Sometimes the best thing God does for me is let me be surrounded by darkness. The problem is we feel that he doesn't care. But you know what he's doing? He's preserving your courage. He's preserving your strength. Stand with me, please. I'm done. Watch it, big boy. We have ministry teams that will be in the foyer. If you need prayer, want to give your heart and life to Jesus, or you need prayer over a very difficult spot, if you'll come forward, you'll be escorted out to the prayer area. For those of you at home, maybe you need to just stay in front of the TV as worship continues. You might want to slip into a room by yourself and just say, Lord, I'm bringing it all to you. I'm bringing it to you. But loved ones, we need to cross that point where we say, I'm done trying to figure this out. I'm done trying to make this work. Lord, I trust you even when I can't see what you're doing. I trust you. I love you. God bless you. He who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That's his promise. Don't give up. Don't give up. I love you, and we'll see you next week. God bless you.